The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. The gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the soothsayer for all that ails me, Josh Borboni. How are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm good. I, uh, yeah, when when we're not arguing, right? I'm the soothsayer for... All the all the ALZ, right? When do we argue, Josh? We never argue. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're <laughs> <Awesome>. right, honey. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, also joining us this week, the head druid of Druid City Games, Mr. James Hudson. Welcome to the show, sir. What's up, y'all? How's it going? Pleasure to have you here. We're doing, I think we're doing pretty great. It's a holiday weekend, yeah. so we, we thank you for your time. Uh, you know, James, if people don't know, can you just give us a little download on uh, who you are, sir? Yeah, hey, I'm James uh, Hudson. I uh, run Druid City Games, uh, formerly of Skybound Tabletop. Um, so I've done a little uh, with other folks and on my own. So back on my own, uh, we just finished up Tidal Blades 2 Kickstarter a few months back, getting ready to do another Kickstarter for Bloodstone and about Ooh. to launch another Tidal Blades game straight to retail later this fall. So, you know, making games. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, so excited to have you on here. And as it is a holiday weekend, we are going to do our best to be respectful of your time. So we're going to do away with our usual shenanigans and we're just going to move through some housekeeping and then we're going to get to know James a little bit better here. So thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff also over on the Instagram Board with VG. We're proud to be part of the Play Some Video Games podcast family, and we encourage you to check out all of the shows like the PSVG podcast, the Nintendo Shacks, PSXP, and Dollar Cinema. You never know when a new show might pop up, so be sure to stay tuned to all your favorite PSVG podcasts to stay up to date. We're also a member of the Dice Tower podcast network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower podcast archive, as well as all the other members of the network, no matter what type of board games you enjoy. There's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So with housekeeping out of the way, let's jump in here. James, as we go through, one thing that you are probably not going to know, I tend to kind of dominate these interviews. So I'm just going to ask one question, <laughs> and then I'm going to turn it over to Josh to ask as many questions as he wants to, and then he'll turn it over to me at the end. So, James, you know, you mentioned a little bit, you know, that you're running Druid City Games. You had done some work with Skybound. So you know, why do the whole small board game publisher thing? Is it about the fame, the endless amounts of money? I'm sure you have your own like Scrooge McDuck money bin that you're swimming in, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, probably only mm -hmm. have to work like two hours a day. I'm guessing like mm -hmm. why be, you know, a board game publisher? That's for all those things. I mean, you nailed it. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's driving Lambos, flying private jets. It's great. Um <laughs> No, no, you know, I, I left the corporate world. I had a, like an 11 year career in marketing. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's probably a lot of people listening who can probably relate to working a soulless job 
where people are just sucking the soul right out of you. And um, the idea, I think it's definitely romanticized a lot, right? I call it the, the Clark Griswold effect. You know, people think they <laughs> want to get into this and they get here and they're like, oh, dang, this, 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 whoo, this ain't as easy as I thought it was going to be. Or I don't necessarily think people think it's going to be easy, but it's hard to make a consistent living as a board game publisher. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, from everything we've heard about talking to people, uh, I can't imagine how difficult it is. Uh, we, we also live in that world, right? Where everything you, you said it is romanticized to the fact where you think you want to get into it, you get into it. And then you're like, what was I, what was I thinking? I like to play board games. <laughs> yeah, It's definitely one of the things where you turn, if you turn your hobby into your living, then do you yeah. still enjoy doing your hobby? Right. So it's, Sure. Uh, I, I think most, I mean, that's the small publisher niche, right? It's a lot of people who had a cool idea for a game, put it up on crowdfunding. Uh, yeah. and, and, and let's be honest, you know, before crowdfunding, there was very little path to get into the industry, right? You had to go get a traditional job and a publisher and, and work your way up or whatever. Uh, but it was still very hard, obviously, to split off and just make games. So, you know, crowdfunding's really opened the door for people like me uh, and all the people that I know now that I run with, they've all come in similarly, right? Through crowdfunding and, and starting a publisher that way. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of stress and everything you do seems to constantly take money, uh, cost money. Uh, and so you're like, when, when do I get to make money that I get to keep? <laughs> yeah. Cause that'd be good. I think. Well, I mean, it's clearly just you padding all those shipping costs, right? Like that's how you're making all that money is those shipping costs. That's not Oof. It. see, see. I know you're 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 trying to drag me to the to the bad place right now. Uh, I, I don't know if everybody here is aware, but there was there was some oh, yeah. kerfluffle last week about these discussions that I got involved with, and uh, and yeah. so yeah, I actually didn't know that. So my apologies. I wasn't trying to do that. My I genuinely did not know. So my bad there. No worries. No, it was just a general like somebody said something like that, but was but was being serious about it. And um, listen, you know, the Simons of the world, they've done what they've done. Right. But they don't represent they are an outlier. I don't think anybody was overly excited about the way that they handled Marvel zombies. Right. Like that actually doesn't do their other brethren that's in the crowdfunding space any favors by posting one price and then doubling it in the pledge manager. Um. But on the other end, uh, publishers have been dealing with in crazy increases of, of shipping containers uh, over the last two years. And that number is real. You know, those, those numbers are real. So that's, and that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this about, um, as a backer of title blades, and this is pre, um, crazy costs as far, well, maybe right on the cusp of them. Um, but, uh, with Druid City and even um, with Isaac at, at Cephalofair, like you guys are really transparent in your updates, which is nice because not a lot of companies are transparent. Uh, we've certainly talked about a few companies. Uh, uh, no, I was going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, that have had some issues with with um, letting people know what shipping costs are going to be. So uh, I think regardless of the issues with that transparency is always important. And sometimes people try to, to sneak in those shipping costs. Uh, I know it's, 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 it's tough, right? Because people, 
you're under an insane amount of pressure. There's, it does it like, it's crazy the amount of pressure that you get from a crowdfunding campaign because yeah. everybody's coming at you from things that they want. And you feel like, you know, we signed up to do this together and I should give, I should try to give them what they want. And you are constantly being pulled in a thousand directions by you should do this. And I've finally gotten good at saying, no, that's not in the scope of what we're doing. So like right now I've got people like, are you going to do foreteller? Uh, uh, what is it called? Is it foreteller? Like this, the audio app that for narration. Oh, oh yeah. 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 And I'm like, listen, I'm sure that is cool. And I would, you know, it sounds awesome. There's only so many hours in a day that I can make this, make this happen. So yeah. if I say yes to everything, we are 100% going to be late. We're going to miss our deadline. And then you're going to yell at me because I'm late. You're going to be like, oh, he's always late. But it's all these things that people ask for. And then if you get caught up in the, yeah, 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 we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Uh, you just, you run out of hours and people are like, oh, it's really not that big a deal though. They do all the work. It still takes, it's still another plate that you spin. It's still another thing that you have to follow up on. It's still another thing that you have to fall through on. And you have to be able to go, you know what, maybe in the future, but that's just not for right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a question that just came up organically. It's not something that we wrote down, but you talked about how crowdfunding has been like really great for you. And I'm th I think about Tidal Blades and I think about how much, um, I don't know if it's, I would say extra lore, but how much storytelling and lore is in that game, especially uh, graphically, like with the graphic design. Mm -hmm. uh, two questions for that. One, do you think that that would have still been possible without a Kickstarter and... Two, is that how like the Tidal Blades uh, tabletop RPG came to life because of that successful campaign? Yeah, no, you're so you're you're hitting questions in my wheelhouse. This is stuff I love talking about um, because I, I, I tell people because there's, there's a there's a constant thread online and social media that's like all oh, these companies, these companies don't need to be on Kickstarter. And I'm, I'm here to raise my hand and say you are absolutely wrong. You're right. wrong. When people say CMON doesn't need to be on Kickstarter, you're wrong. And here's why. Could they take games straight to retail? Obviously, yes, they could. But the game would not be the same. So and what I mean by that is crowdfunding allows us to have agency, allows us to put extra stuff in a production that normally would not be in a production, right? Like the, what you see on the shelf straight to retail, it's pretty, I mean, it's streamlined because a, we don't know how many people is going to be interested in that. So you have to kind of hedge your bets. You have to go, oh, I need to keep my production costs low because if this ends up being a stinker and I got 10,000 units of this in a warehouse, I, I'm, I'm in bad shape, right? So what you put in the box gets shrunken way down. Uh, whereas with the crowdfunding, you can say, cool, we know we got a lot of lore, a lot of story, a lot of minis, a lot of whatever we want to put in this game. And we can kind of see how much interest there is as we go along. And we can kind of fetter how much we were going to put into this box, right? Like you might dream up a thousand things. Usually like when we uh, get ready to launch a Kickstarter, we've got a really, really long list of things that we would love to put in our games. But, you know, there's a certain amount of volume that you have to hit to make those things make sense. And so knowing those numbers up front allows companies, even CMON, to put more stuff in a box. So, yeah. you know, obviously people are still going to argue about that forever and ever. But like that's what crowdfunding affords. It affords us to be able to do something extra. And I'm not even meaning deluxe components. Sure, those obviously. But I just mean like extra game content. Like extra minis, extra scenarios, things like that, that you would normally not get in a straight to retail production. Uh, and so for your second question, 
so when it comes to, I, I love creating worlds. I love it's, it's too, too much, right? Like uh, it's what I, my first design was bloodstone, which um, we did a, a Kickstarter, but then I, uh, I paused it, canceled it because uh, you know, the feedback was pretty glaring that people weren't happy with some of the choices. And we launched it right in the middle of like the height of uh, COVID and all the prices had spiked. Uh, I mean, I even got a quote that got requoted like 10 days before we launched and my prices went up 30%. And I was just like, I, uh, I don't know what to do. I guess we just, we just increase our prices and we just go with it. Right. Luckily we're not in that, you know, things have started to calm down quite a bit. So Hopefully when we come back, um, I'll be able to put a, you know, a package together that people are excited about. But like even that world was one of my first designs and I just love, I started world building from the beginning and Tidal Blades was, it was similar that I worked with Mr. Cuttington, which is uh, an art, an art, it's actually an artist moniker. If people aren't familiar, it's a, it's a husband wife duo out of, duo out of Canada uh, named David and Lena. They're incredible humans, super kind and awesome. And, um, we actually, uh, I, I was getting them. We just finished up Grim Forest. They actually did Barnyard Roundup as well as my first game. And uh, I was like, hey, I've got two more games I want to put in front of you that I'm thinking about. Da, 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 and it's going to be like this. And here's the theme. And they're like, listen, we aren't interested in doing assignment work anymore. And I was like, it's like we want to, we're creators. We want to create our own worlds. And I was like, all right, well, y'all are incredibly talented. I trust you. So make something. And if I like it, then we'll, I'll pull the theme off these two games and we'll put them in this world and we'll go with it. And, uh, and of course they showed me like a, uh, that box cover art for the first title blaze. I was like, okay, you win. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, which I didn't have a whole lot of doubt that I wasn't going to love what they came with, but just, you know, on the off chance that I need to veto like some weird idea. But, um, and then, and then it just kind of just spun up, right. The, the lore in the, and the world building just kind of came along with that so much so that, you know, those two, those two game designs that I pulled the theme off of, they totally transformed, right? Because we, we typically let the theme lead us in a direction when it comes to the game mechanics. And I know every designer has a different way of going about that, right? Some are mechanics first and the theme gets applied. But in my case, like we're right now, we're building out the storyline, the narrative of where we want this story to go for title blades to its endpoint to like, if this was a TV series, it'd be like, okay, this is three, this is four seasons. Here's what season one is season two, season three, season four done. Um, and what that does, is it allows us to be able to spin up games that don't feel like they're just shoehorned in, right? They feel like they flow perfectly with a narrative and they're not like, what the, what the hell's going on with this game? That thing. I mean, it's got the coat of paint on it, but it doesn't look like it fits. If that right. makes sense. Yep. 100%. Great. Uh, Kyle, I'll I'll let you I'll let you go in a second. I do want to I'm gonna we'll transition because we are also a video game podcast. I know, based on some of your Elden Ring stuff, that you're a gamer. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. it probably it seems that that probably maybe lends itself a little bit to the storytelling uh, and what you're so strong at. But uh, I think our gaming uh, listeners would like to know. If you just want to give us some quick hits, like what are you playing now and what's been your favorite gaming experience in the past? We'll say two years because COVID is basically one long year. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a weird animal when it comes to video games because I grew up on I'm a Blizzard fanboy, grew up on Diablo, grew up on Warcraft, 
was raid leader back in the day, uh, you know, flunked out of college because of raid uh, leading raids uh, <laughs> back in, in frozen throne days. So like uh, I overwatch love overwatch. So I was a big blizzard fanboy, and, and one of the things that the, that stranglehold that their games have on those players is like, I don't need to play any other games if uh, you know, I'm playing Warcraft or I'm playing Diablo. And so I, I kind of got away from console games for quite a long time. And Elden Ring was one of the first ones that I was like, I don't know. I think I saw one of those graphics that just had, it was either five stars or 10 out of 10. Oh, yeah. And it was like, yeah. There was like 60 of them, you know, yeah. from all, from every publication out there. And I was like, okay. And then I remember I played it. So I got it, downloaded it. And I, obviously I hadn't played any of the other from software games, nothing. So I walk in there and I just get punched right in the face instantly. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is this? Who yeah. thinks this is fun? I remember the first week of playing that game. I was just like, these people, uh, I don't understand who this game's for. It doesn't make any sense. Masochists. Masochists. Absolutely. <laughs> kept pushing, kept pushing. Uh, because, because I found the world interesting. I found the world in, world building interesting. I found it interesting that they didn't spoon feed me. And then I had to go figure things out and I had to like dig up this information about the world. And, um, and then I, you know, then I caught fire and then it was like, okay, great. Uh, I guess I'm going to go fight, uh, millennia 7,000 times, uh, because (laughs) that's just what we do. Right. Like, uh, and finally got her beat. And I I ended up beating, I'm in the, I'm in the NG plus, um, range but i've kind of cooled off on it lately doing the same thing over and over doesn't really get get it for me but uh yeah that's that's kind of what i've been playing lately uh nice. i watched my son play a lot of Fortnite. <laughs> okay i hear you i hear you on that uh <laughs> kyle you're up fire away awesome well i do want to go back <laughs> just very briefly and say you know one of my favorite things about uh the original title blades you know i i know you talked about how you know doing kickstarters isn't just about the quality of the components I will say uh, the little like fruits. I love the little fruits. Uh, But also one of my favorite things was like opening that box and then like, you know, you open the box, like you have the map that's like on the cover and then uh, on the other side, underside. And then I pulled out the book and I'm like, what in the world is this? Like, I'm sure this was mentioned in the campaign, but I'm not really great at reading updates. Um, And I looked at it and I started flipping through. I'm like, this is cool. And my partner goes, what is that? I'm like, it came with a lore book. She's like, I'm going to read that. I was like, I mean, you don't want to read the rules to learn how to play. She's like, no, you could do that. I'm going to read this. I was like, well, cool. I guess there was, there goes a, that. I guess I'm the one who's teaching, learning and teaching title blades now. But that book, that book was such a cool surprise. And like, I think, you know, kind of like you mentioned, so often we see games that it almost feels like, you know, that theme is pasted on. Uh, and here it very much feels like in this game that like everything kind of builds out of this theme and makes sense and is tied to. And, you know, sometimes if I didn't know what to do with a rule, I was like, well, it seems like in this world, it'd be like this. And it pretty much always was, which is always nice and, and a good thing to know. Um, so building off that, then when it comes to board games, like what is appealing to you as a publisher for board games? If people are pitching you games or do you get I'm assuming you get pitch games often, um, mm-hmm. but also like as a player, like what are kind of board games are you into? Like what's appealing to you as a player? Are those different? Are those the same? Just tell us about that a little bit. I, you know, I'm going to answer the player side of that first, because it really just flows right in and ends up being about the same thing for the for the publisher side. Um, for me, I, I'm a very thematic gamer, uh, as you can probably figure out from the games that I make. And so for me, if something looks awesome, if it looks engaging, if it looks like there's a lot of effort put into it, if it's a cool theme that's not just done over and over, like I, I enjoy Euro games. 
but I am not attracted to those bland looking, let's go move our sheep around and make some corn. <laughs> I play them and I, I really enjoy them, but like, that's not what pulls me in. Right. Like uh, seeing like say Lords of Hellas, you know, where you're just like, Oh, space alien Greek gods. Yes, please. You know, like I'm, that's the kind of stuff that pulls me in. Uh, I even remember like, like werewolf or mafia is not my favorite type of game to play. But when I saw blood on the clock tower, I was just like, I don't even care what this is. I got to have it. Uh, I got to experience it. Right. Just cause it just looks like it's somebody's baby. They took a lot of the effort to make it awesome. Um, and if I'm going to sit down and, and, you know, turn my brain off or well, uh, the way I play board games, I probably do turn my brain off, but like, and I'm going to like, be invested in a thing for the next hour or two. I want it to be cool. I want it to look good. I want it to have nice components if it can. Uh, again, it's not always necessary, but um, it, it, I, that's my, my preference. And then I, it's similar, very obviously very similar on, on games that I want to make, but kind of a, another little sliver is I, you know, I'm looking for games that aren't just, they're not necessarily just uh slight variations of something that's already out there, right? Like I wanted to see like a great example was when Scott Caputo showed me Sorcerer City. I was like, wait, you, you, I'm laying tiles, but it's a deck builder, but it's not cards. It's tiles and it's timed. And there's monsters that mess up the city that I'm building. So it's like Carcassonne meets galaxy trucker <laughs> meets dominion. He's like, yeah, I was like, I'm signing it. There's nothing like that out there. There's nothing like that out there. So I want it. And that's, you know, that's what I wanted to try to do is try to find those, not just necessarily diamonds in the rough, but like things that are trying to do something different. Um, and, you know, I think if you look at the, my catalog, that's, you know, I got a, a bluffing Euro game, which no one wanted, by the way, that's guardians call. Guardians call. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got Wonderland's war, which just came out, which is a bag building area control game. Um, it's like Blood Rage meets Quacks of Quedlinburg. Um, obviously, you've got Tidal Blades, which took a nice mashup of different things. But we really put a lot of effort into uh, when people sit down and play those characters, the fun ways that you build those characters out as you're playing was what we hoped people focused on there that, uh, that a lot of other worker placement uh, games didn't give you. Right. So I can look back over my shoulder at the, at the stuff, grim masquerade. Like when we did that one, I don't know if you ever played it, but it was our take on social deduction because it, you didn't have to lie. But as, you, as I told you earlier, like I get all squirmy when I'm playing werewolf and I have to look somebody and lie directly to them or whatever. <laughs> and so grim masquerade, you don't have to, you don't lie at all. You're just deducing things, but you can still make bluffs. You can still lean into things and try to make people believe stuff, but you don't have to say anything, which a lot of people are like, I don't like social deduction, but that one I'll play. I like that one, you know. So, uh, I know. I'm by the way, I'm really long winded. So your 30 minute uh, time limit is uh, <laughs> kind of a funny joke. <laughs> well, I mean, it was you know more to be respectful of your time than it was our time. Like we got nothing. yeah, you just do this when you want us to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, kind of building off, you talked a little bit about your catalog. So I, I feel like just you know, kind of transitioning there. Obviously. Um, the Kickstarter for uh, Title Blades 2 wrapped up relatively recently, in all things considered. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you have Title Blades Banner Festival coming out, you know, later this year. Um, mm -hmm. Do you just want to talk about a little bit about like, you know, your upcoming games that people right now can kind of like how they can get involved, how they could maybe pre-order if they wanted to, kind of all that good stuff? 
Sure, yeah. I think the obviously the, there's the three big ones. You've got Tidal Blades 2. The Pledge Manager is open for that. So um, there is some Kickstarter exclusive scenarios. So if the system looks like something that you're going to have fun with, you may want to back through the Pledge Manager so that you get the extra stuff. Um, it's not super exclusive. Like I'll still sell it on my web store, but you will have to pay for it later as opposed to it just coming free with a Kickstarter pledge or a late pledge. Um, and the system for the, for this is, is amazing. You know, Tim and Ben Eisner killed this. It's, uh, it's, it's nothing, nothing like you, you can go watch some, obviously some of the videos and see for yourself. So you don't have to trust me, but there's just something really neat about the grid system. Cause it actually has a Euro game engine building kind of vibe to it where you're like laying down these cards and they kind of start building on top of each other, but then they clear. So it really simulated fighting nicely, right? Like a buildup of energy, a big, a big move. And then I got to build back up again. Right. So you got, you got these big ebbs and flows in battle and there's just something really fun about processing all your choices. Uh, and so it doesn't ever feel like there's any downtime because when everybody else is taking their turn, you're just staring at your cards and like looking at your grid going, okay, what am I going to do next? Okay, that just changed. That person just died, or they knocked that person out. And the, the objectives over here. So I need to play this card, matched it with these two opportunities. It it just it just does something for my little squirrel brain. I'm just checking all those boxes. Um, and I think what people are going to see from the experience that they get in Title Blades Two is from that lore and that world building. This isn't a generic uh, world or story that just kind of got like pasted on, and it, it's not tropey, right? So like you're going to go through this, and I really think people are going to feel like there's going to be some reviews at the end when they've seen what this, where this narrative takes them that they're going to be like, I feel like I just watched a series on Netflix, even though I played it as a game, like the story is that good. So I'm excited about that. Uh, you mentioned banner festival. That is again, that's a spinoff. Uh, it's a straight to retail game. We wanted to make a game that was quick and easy to play because, you know, title blades, the first game is kind of a big chunky box and title blades two is going to be a big, long campaign. Uh, Banner Festival is trick. I'm, I'm air quoting right now, podcasters. Uh, it's trick taking esque. Yeah. <laughs> um, we call it sophisticated trick taking. Whereas normal trick taking games, you know, you, you everybody plays their card, and there's one that pulls the trick, right? But in this, it's got a board, and there's there's a, there's board state, and there's board stuff that's happening. But the trick taking simultaneous action selection part is what fuels your movements and, and your strategy. And so what happens though is interesting is like if all four of uh, there's four of us playing and we all put a card in, there'd be somebody who played the highest card. There would be somebody who played the lowest card and there'd be two players that were in the middle. Well, in this game, you have a high, medium and a low and they have different payouts for those things. And when you're choosing your card, you're like, I want to be low this time because the low action is going to be, is going to benefit me the most with the board setup right now. So you, you play a card specifically trying to go low and then, you know, Kyle comes along and goes lower than you and pushes you to the middle. You still get something, but it wasn't what you wanted. You know, and you're like, it, it has those stand up moments. I'm like, dang it. Um, so that's, it's from JB Howell and Mike Hilsick. there. They did flotilla. They usually make these really big, long Euro games. And this actually was a big, long Euro game. Uh, but I told him that this card mechanic was so good that it needed to be the star of the show. And so we kept shrinking the game down to where it was like the perfect mix and is now star of the show. Um, somebody mentioned earlier that they like squishy fruit. So there's a new squishy fruit yeah. in Banner Festival, by the way. So, Oh, man. Okay, there we go. There we go. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and even though it's a straight-to-retail game, 
I packed as much stuff into the box as I possibly could. Wooden, silk screen components, squishy fruit, linen finish cards. Um, and so I think people are going to see like, it feels like a Druid City game, even though it's straight to retail. Yeah. Um, and it is up for pre-order as well. Uh, well, the pre-order actually opens up next week, but you can still sign up for it. Either way, you can pre-order it. You'll get it way earlier. Um, and that's something I just, you know, to any of the listeners, you can really help out publishers um, by pre-ordering their games. I know it doesn't, you know, like I don't get, I got to pay for shipping and like I'm subsidizing the shipping even for the pre-orders. But like it really, really like that money goes directly to the publisher as opposed to having to touch other people's bank accounts as well. So like if there's a, if you have a favorite small publisher um, and they do pre-orders, it's, it's like almost like Patreon, right? Like you're still buying yeah. something, you're still getting something, but like, it's a great way to support the publishers that you really like. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I told you. I'll talk. I was just going to say, we, we saw that directly happen with Emerson with uh, Metal Gear. Like they had to put that game up for pre-orders and people were just like, I don't know, maybe they were like, I'm going to wait till it hits the store shelves or what, but essentially we just saw IDW just kind of give up faith that that game could sell, unfortunately. And, and, um, and I know he put a lot of, a lot of lore into like, like when I think of the title blades book, I think about that book we were going to get with metal gear and how big it was. And we thought he was joking with us when he told us how big it was. So uh, I think you're hundred percent right. People, People need to support publishers with pre-orders because it is a great indication of sales for publishers, uh, whether it's yeah, self-published you know, it's, or not. It's a, if you can, right? Like nobody's demanding yeah. that you do it or anything like that, but it's just a great way. If you if you would like to write down your top 10 publishers, right? Like a great way to support them is to do when they have, if they have pre-orders to pre-order their yeah. game, obviously specifically through them. So, and even going into your local game stores and just asking them to carry uh, certain games like that kind yeah. of stuff really helps the business side for us a lot. Yes. Awesome. Well, I was gonna say, uh, one thing when it came to Banner Festival, my partner, she is not a fan of trick taking games, she does not like them <laughs> in general. And I was like, hey, there's this new Title Blades game. She's like, that perked her up because she really likes Title Blades. And I was like, it, it, it is a trick taking game. And she's like, ooh. But we watched a review of it. And after watching the review, she was like, actually, you know what? I think. I could get into this because like you mentioned of having, you know, the high and the low doing something different. And that sometimes you like, are like, no, I want to strategize to actually be the low person at this point right. to, to get the thing that I want. So I, I think that there is a lot more strategy involved in it than maybe typical people think of when yeah. they think of trick taking games. So, yeah, I know Chris and Wendy uh, from dice tower. Uh, they, they were very adamant that it is not a trick taking game. Yeah. Uh, and they're not <laughs> wrong. It is simultaneous action selection, but the the, the framework is trick taking. I think that's what's going to m- be most familiar to people because I think when people describe it, they're going to say, "Well, the framework is trick taking, but it's weird and different." And again, that's just one of those things. Kind of talking about earlier is like, "Oh, JB, y'all guys are you, you took something that's familiar and you're doing something weird with it, but it's weird in a good way, right? Like not weird and boring, but it's weird and good." So. Um, and it plays in 30 to 40 minutes. So it's, it's, it's got a false, a smaller footprint. So it's easy to get to the table and has kind of that addictive, like, okay, we just played this. I want to play this again. Let's do it again. Type of thing. So for sure. Well, and and we do talk about, you know, pre-orders on this show and and we try to like 
couch thing sometimes between like the video game listeners and the board game listeners. Let me say, when you do a, when you do a podcast, you're like, hey, we're going to do half our time on board games and half our time on video games. <laughs> Not always the best way to like make sure you have an informed audience about what's going on all the time, um, because like you know. We, in the video game world, they're like never pre-order, right? Like you should not pre-order video games because, you know, XYZ, these companies are billion dollar companies, you know, not always, obviously there's indies, but you shouldn't pre-order. But on the board game side, it's like, no, like you really should pre-order because that like the, the runs are really small. Like if you don't, there is a chance that you will not yeah. be able to buy it or maybe ever right. again, depending on how things go. Um, so especially when the game is reasonably priced um, and you can do it directly from the publisher and it's a publisher who you have confidence in that they've done good things before. Uh, yeah. You know, like I, I think Josh and I do it probably more than we should, more than our bank accounts would like us to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny that you you say about that because a really hot topic, at least that I, that I, I have opinions on when it comes to video games and it is like Diablo immortal versus Elden ring and seeing yeah. Uh, and these are all billion dollar companies, right? So like, I don't care about hurting their feelings at all. It's much different than us board game folks. We're in our little niche, but like you've got, you know, uh, free to play with a bajillion mm-hmm. micro transactions. And then you've got Elden ring who just puts out this just chef's kiss masterpiece. It's like, it's 50, it's 60 bucks. And we'll probably have some DLC content eventually, but like get after it. Uh, and it would have been so easy to like litter that, that system with microtransactions or uh, any of that sort of stuff. And it just, it just shows like the, and it does feel like an old model. And I mean, I get, I guess, I guess I get why they do it. Right. Because there's people who will spend, there's personalities that will spend a lot of money uh, to, you know, to well it up and be top of class or whatever, like in uh, Diablo immortal. And, um, you know, I, I played Diablo immortal cause I'm again, a Diablo fan and I got to, you know, I maxed out the level and, and then it got to the part where it's like, I'm not going to get much further very quickly if I don't start paying. And, you know, I threw them 10 bucks because I'm, like, I'm playing their game. So, like, I don't mind spending a little bit of money. But then it was just it seemed like it got worse <laughs> after I gave them some money. It was like, oh, we know you'll pay. So it's like now I just feel like I'm getting every time I turn around. It was like, if you want to get to this gym, you got to pay. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a. You know, the Elden Ring from software really showed all these other people like you can still put out a really good game. It can be incredibly successful. You can still make a bajillion dollars and you don't have to really like rake your fans over the coals to try to drag every drop of money out of them that you can. Yeah, absolutely. It is always an interesting conversation as uh, I am my only Blizzard game that I have a strong affection for is Overwatch and I have played thousands at this point of hours of overwatch uh and you know i play on console and my friends in my playgroup are talking about you know okay the beta is going on right now you know and you can guarantee to get in if you buy this 40 dollar pack and people are like oh i don't want to pay to get in i was like okay none of us have really ever paid for loot boxes that because we're just a whole different story i'm like but i paid 60 dollars for this game in 2016 and i've played a couple thousand hours of it at this point like I think I can pay 40 bucks now to get into the beta and then have the battle pass when the game launches. Yeah. Like, I don't feel yeah. too bad about that, you know, in that situation. But yeah, obviously Diablo Immortal has been all over the news as far as like. Oh, man, that. it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, it's it's the dollars. Was it hundred thousand dollars to max out in my It's something crazy like that. <laughs> it, it's crazy. Like I was just, you know, I, I mean, obviously I've got apps on my on my game, you know, my phone that I play that are like they'll ask you for money at certain points but like 
Diablo Immortal, man, it's like every subsection of their game, they have transactions built into every funnel. So like there's like 20 different things that you need to level up and each of those things have things that they're trying to sell you within each of those silos. And you're just like, (laughs) at what point can I give you enough money to actually see the returns? And I don't know, it, it, it was pretty ugly. I I got a lot of friends now that I live here in Irvine where um, Blizzard is, is home base. Right. And I've made all of my board game friends, a majority of them actually work at Blizzard. So Mm -hmm. I have friends who work on the team over there. So I'm kind of, I'm split when I want to, when I want to really rake them over the coals about the game. And I'm like, yeah, I'm talking about some of my friends works. That kind of sucks. (laughs) They don't make those business decisions though. So that's not, that's not on them. Right. 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 Are you on Android or are you on uh, iPhone? iPhone. Oh man, I want to I want to recommend Marvel Snap to more people, but all y'all are on iPhones. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for that one. I've heard great things. I, I really so want to check it out. It's incredible. It's incredible. So, all right. Well, we've taken plenty of your time, James. So, one final question before we wrap up here: uh, What has been the most surprising thing to you when when you transitioned? Talked about you know going from that corporate job and and working in you know, marketing and, and, and just not finding the joy or passion there. Like what has been the biggest surprise to you in transitioning to becoming a board game publisher that you did not expect? You know, I, I went into it. Uh, I'm a pretty confident person mixed with also very naive. So like it's a really dangerous combination. <laughs> you can talk yourself into doing almost anything because you're like, I'll just figure it out as I go. And, uh, you know, surprising wise, like there's just been some things that I had to, I had to learn the hard way. And then I just learned I'm not very good at some things and, you know, shot to the pride there. But like, um, in business, I think, uh, Jean-Luc Bacard, a little, a little TNG quote for you. Uh, one of his things was like, you can do everything. I don't remember what episode this is and I'm probably paraphrasing. So don't, (laughs) don't come at me in the DMS. Um, but it's essentially, you can, sometimes you do everything right and still lose. And that's part of being a business owner. And, you know, everybody who like wants to launch their board game on Kickstarter, you're not just making a game, you're starting a business. And that in that comes with this umbrella of things that you've got to be competent at. And it's, it's, it's not a, you need to be, it's, you have to be like, you have to do these things or you will not be successful. And for me, I think, I think it was a, it was a, you know, try to drink water from a fire hydrant type of situation. And, uh, you don't, you, you don't win that way. You just, you just lose. And so I had, I learned pretty quickly. I had to get really good people around me and trust them and just let them do their thing and get out of their way. And I had a problem with that early on. <laughs> I like to, <laughs> not, not to say I'm controlling. I just want to be involved in everything. Right. And then eventually I had to, I had to figure out like, you know what? I've hired this person to do this thing. I should just shut the heck up and get out of their way and let them do their thing. Awesome. Well, hey, James, thanks so much for joining us this week. We really do appreciate it. Any final yeah. things you want to plug? Anything else you want to tell the audience? Anything? Where can they people find you and kind of keep up with what you're doing on the internet? One thing that I did just launch, if people are into Discord, I just launched Druid City Games Discord. So that's, I think you can just literally type Druid City Games in. Come join the Discord. That's something I'm going to, because, you know, all the different social medias are really hard to like keep up with each one and stuff that I say doesn't always get sent out. At least in Discord, in those channels, we can talk about stuff and it doesn't go away. So uh, I'm going to try to put a lot more effort into hanging out in the discord. Cause it just feels like a, a much more intimate space for us to talk about board gaming and Druid city game stuff. 
Awesome. Nice. Josh, any final words? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say uh, before we let you go, uh, there's uh, my wife and I have been into board games for a long time. Uh, we finally like went to our first convention. It was the it was the first PAX Unplugged. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to say there were very few people. There were very few people who made a big impression on us while we were there. Uh, Danny Lowe, while she was at Renegade at the time, was one of them. Uh, and you were one of them as well uh, when we met you at your booth and you guys were pr- promoting, I think, Something to Fear mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and maybe this isn't, this is, I think this is fair to say, you have a very, very big personality. I think it comes through now, but it also mm-hmm. really came through on the show floor. Uh, so you were like someone I wanted to have on for a long time, but I needed to build up the the courage to ask you on. So I'm very happy that you were able to join us and thank you for probably doing the same thing for so many other people that you did for me and my wife was just being so welcoming and embracing into this hobby because we need more people like that. Uh, Josh, do you know how lucky I am to make a board game and get to go to a convention and sit down with people who want to play my board game? Like it's the luck. I'm the luckiest dude in the world. Like anybody who takes this job for granted is dumb because and should be like super excited if the idea that I'm sitting at a table in a big room and people paid to come there and see board games and they out of all the board games that they could go see they stop by my booth to see mine to yeah. me that is an incredible gesture and I, I try to want to meet that with as much positivity uh, and you know to help make their experience as good as it could, could be and that's you know Danny Lowe like you said great I could list a ton of people that do the same thing so yeah, yeah. um I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, with that, we will put an end to it. And thanks again, James, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, Josh, we've had a, been fortunate to have a, a lot of different guests on during our time. And, you know, James was like, I felt like just like pulling up to the bar and having a beer with a friend. Yeah. Uh, uh, very much like a, a Jerry Hawthorne guest. Yeah. Just really just chill, fun to hang out with. But with that... We're going to kind of continue on and get back to a little bit more of a typical show. So with that, Josh, what have you been playing this week? Well, uh, the other day I got on a time machine all the way back to 2020. And I just started playing Whoa. games in 2020. Uh, literally, the only two games I have been playing is Fall Guys and Marvel's Avengers. <laughs> 2020 is coming for you. A minute. A minute. I'm pre-pandemic. I'm like, there's no COVID in sight. I mean, living the life. Uh, yes, and as I wrote in my notes, I asked four people three separate times to play Marvel Dice Throne with me, and they all said no. Who said uh, no? Let's, let's, I'm let's, not naming let's, names. <laughs> they know who they are. Have, we want to publicly shame them. The only person very... who doesn't have an excuse is my wife. Everyone else had a legitimate excuse. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. See, I thought you meant by writing that, that people were like, well, no, I just don't want to. They could have, no, but no, they were no. like, just like, no, no, it just was people okay. weren't available. And gotcha. I was really sad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that, that's reasonable then. That's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do have, I did get my Marvel Dice Throne, which I'm very excited about. I got my Soul Forge Fusion. I got my Betrayal Legacy 3rd Edition which they finally fixed the tombstone markers. I'm so excited to finally play <laughs> that game properly. No, I'm kidding. I'm excited for all those things. Um, but yeah, uh, still playing Fall Guys. There's a Halo event going on now, which I think is actually pretty fun, where they add um, 
these small little smiley face balls you can throw at like just into the havoc and they blow up and they just launch fall guys into the air it's called spartan showdown and you can earn you earn halo gear but it's really funny because they just add those exploding balls into pre-existing maps so it's adding even more chaos into some maps um but I'll, i'll say this i don't know how much i talked about fall guys last week but um really there's just so much more variety they even they changed the maps i was used to when i played before uh i'm just really having a great time with it and my son loves to try to play it and he loves to watch me play which is also a bonus uh to this game you know uh i really uh enjoy what they're doing uh we're gonna bring like three switches with us to the beach so we can have three people play uh, on a team because you could do squads up to four players uh that you know you you can still lose but like your squad can keep going kind of thing so yeah and it's free to play now so there's like if you haven't played fall guys like just just get at it and give it a shot if you want to play on xbox let me know or switch i I did download it on the switch and i'll be happy to play with people as well um and then marvel's avengers i don't know so i i kind of lost hope when I lost my save data from PlayStation, yeah, uh, I had completed the campaign and in a lot of post campaign stuff. But you know, I loved that campaign so much. We talked about it in 2020 and 2021, um, and I really missed out on all the new camp, like the DLCs. Like I missed out on Black Panther and Hawkeye and Kate Bishop. And you know what? I was like, I'm not missing out on the Mighty Thor. Like I <laughs> am coming back to play as Jane Foster, but I'm going to work my way to Jane. So I'm, I'm starting on Xbox. So I haven't done any of the campaign. So I'm starting a campaign over. Uh, I'm playing on performance mode, which is something I didn't get to play when I played it originally. I just played the PS4 version. Um, and I'm still loving it. I, I really feel bad for how horrible they managed the post campaign and how much of a news story that is versus the quality of the campaign. Still an amazing Marvel story. Still told great. I get people lose, lose it a little bit over the looks of the characters look different. Um, and the voices are different from the MCU characters, but man, I grew up pre MCU. So it doesn't bug me so much, you know, <laughs> uh, my Tony Stark didn't always sound like Robert Downey Jr. Right. Um, so I'm OK with that. Uh, I really think it's on Game Pass. Like, I really feel like if people haven't even given it a shot, like this is another game. Take it take, get in your own time machine. Install Fall Guys and Avengers and and play it. Um, I can't wait to get to Black Panther, but I'm going to wait till I get to his chapter. Um, and I'm really going to focus on when I played through the first time, I really focused on Thor and Hulk as my characters. I leveled up and I think maybe I'll focus on, um, I, I'm going to try to focus on not doing a character. That's like what I want to do. Cause I want to be black Panther. So I'm not going to focus on cap cause like cap and black Panther, both melee. So maybe I'll try a black widow <laughs> as I say that, like right. to myself, no way am I going to do that. Uh, <laughs> Or Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel is probably more likely that uh, that'll be a person I fo- uh, focus on. But um, 
Yeah, and I, and honestly, I've had this really strange pull to play a lot of older games that I never got to. Like I installed Assassin's Creed Origins again. Wow. And I'm like, should I be playing these? I haven't even played more than the prologue of the quarry. And we got <laughs> we have Donnie coming on next week to probably talk about the quarry. And I'm not going to make you guys not spoil it for me because that would be rude of me. But I got to get my stuff together and play some quarry this week. <laughs> And it's I saw fun. all the games you got on the PlayStation. I'm like, man, do I have to try all these games to see if I like them? Yeah, I picked up a couple <laughs> new games for us. So, so yeah, and, and I'm still playing Marvel Snap, of course. They just had a new update. They nerfed a bunch of my favorite characters, but I'm pushing through it. I'm pushing through it. It makes sense why they nerfed them. Yeah, I was like, that's usually what happens, that they're everyone's favorite for a reason. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. But it's actually made the game more interesting to me. I've had to adapt and change my decks a little bit to make them more playable for me. And I'm really enjoying that as well. So, I mean, all in all, with as little games as I'm playing, I'm having a ball. And as we talked about earlier, that's the most important part, right? That is the most important part. But I'm jealous of your list. (laughs) Well, well, you know. (laughs) Um, okay, well, let's go through what I have been playing then. Uh, we'll start with the video game side. Oh, except for the video game side. I'm not so jealous about the video game okay. side. <laughs> oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. So uh, I started with um, Overwatch 2 Beta, which is now on console. Uh, so I have been playing that. I will say that uh, like it was on PC, uh, the queue times are all out of whack. Um, if you want to play support, you can get a game in 10 to 15 seconds. If you want to play DPS or tank, you're going to be waiting anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes to play. Oh, my game. God. Yeah. Uh, the queue times are very, very long for DPS and tank because that's what everyone is playing. Rest in peace, uh, Diva. <laughs> yeah, right. And the queue time for supports is very, very short. Uh, so I have only um, played tank slash. Actually, I haven't even played tank at all in this one. I played DPS twice. Um, and when I did it, I started the queue and then watched the television show. Um, this is how I did it. it, Yeah. So that's how I managed my waits because one of them was like nine minutes and the other one was 12 minutes uh, waiting between games. So, you know, it took. And then one of the games I got in. And the problem is, Josh, that obviously they backfill sometimes. So I got in and the game was 30 seconds. The match was 30 seconds from being over. So I waited nine minutes and then played for 30 seconds and then (laughs) queued for 12 minutes. It was great. It was amazing. Um, so yeah, overall the beta is a lot like the first beta was. They've definitely made some changes and tweaks and adjustments. Uh, I will say aiming feels a bit weird to me. I don't know what it is, but the characters and maybe, and this is different from what it was on PC on console aiming feels, I don't know. Maybe I'm just way worse than I used to be, but like I was playing overwatch one with my overwatch people and then i went and played overwatch 2 and like the shots i was hitting in overwatch 1 i just can't hit like i don't know exactly what it is if they've tweaked something about like the stickiness of like the aim assist like i don't know because like you know console games tend to have aim assist in them yeah so i i just don't know if that's what's happening and i'm just i'm whiffing a lot now the good thing about that is is most people are so when you're watching these battles between console players playing Overwatch, it's both people missing a lot for the most part of what it is. So it's really, really not that exciting. So, uh, yeah, overall, like I said, I, I uh, yeah, I get why they're making the changes. It, it does make the game. Um, I I'm have habits that were really, really good during Overwatch that are not good for Overwatch 2 um, that I got to kind of get out of the habit of doing. But overall, playing the beta, it's it's fine. It's good. Um, 
nothing that's going to make me stop playing Overwatch at this point, at least. Right. Um, so then the next game that I picked up, um, I picked up a couple games um, because one game that I picked up that I haven't played yet was AI The Somnium Files because AI The Somnium Files Nirvana Initiative just came out recently uh, and got really, really good reviews. And when the first AI game came out, I had wanted to play it, but just never kind of got around to it. So I was like, well, I don't know if I really want to you know, drop $60 on a on a narrative adventure game right now, uh, but maybe I want to. And then, you know, in the uh, mid-year sale or whatever the heck is going on right now, whatever sale PlayStation has, uh, AI The Somnium Files was $8. So I was like, well, huh? let's just get the original and we'll play that because that one reviewed really well as well. I haven't played it yet, but the other game that I got then at the same time was I downloaded this game called Little Noah Scion of Paradise. Josh, do you know what this game is? No, and I only have assumptions, so okay. maybe so they're game, correct. <laughs> yeah, so this game actually was shown during the third-party Nintendo Direct that just recently happened. Yes, it was yes, a very, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, very brief little thing, and I was like, oh, that looks interesting. Uh, so this game, it is a roguelite, um, so some people are going to totally be off of this already, where you have a <laughs> like flying ship that has crashed. Uh, you need to then go into this world. Uh, you're chasing a cat. Uh, but in the process of chasing this cat who you think has answers to about why these ruins exist, um, you are getting, uh, items that, that once you die, those items convert to basically orbs or something that you can then invest in rebuilding your ship, which gives you permanent upgrades to then go in again and try the whole thing all over again. Right. Uh, this game is entirely in Japanese. Uh, with US subtitles, so that's good at least, but the game is entirely in Japanese and the action of the game is when you go in, you recruit these little, I don't even know what to call them, it's almost like having Pokemon, but you recruit these little dudes to <laughs> fight with you. What's that? Animals. Yeah, kind of. Like they're, you It's called Little Noah. Little... It's gotta be animals, right? <laughs> well, I don't remember, I, I mean, maybe, but like, they, <laughs> they are like animals, they're creatures, I should say, because some of them aren't like animals per se, but sure, you're sure. recruiting these little things that have a name, this is, this is the best description of a game ever, let me tell you, <laughs> but you're recruiting these little creatures to help you, yeah. so when you attack then, the creatures are actually who attacks, you're not the one who's attacking, these creatures go out and do their attacks mm. for you. And these creatures that you recruit, there's tons of them. There's so many different creatures, and they're different levels and all this good stuff. But all of them attack differently. So some of them attack very, very quickly, but don't do a lot of damage. Others attack very slowly, but do a ton of damage. Some might, like, just run at the enemy to push them away from you. And they're all listed. Like, you choose the order you want them to attack in. So when you hit square, 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 the first three in the line attack. And then Mm -hmm. after, like, a second, it resets, and then they go again. But if you hit square five times, the whole line will attack. Um, so it's really kind of this cat and mouse of like rearranging like the orders that these characters are in or these little guys are in to do your attacks. And then there's also all of them have a special ability that you can pull one of them out of the line and assign it to a different button. And then they just do their special ability when you hit the button. Right. But you're but you're literally getting like, I don't know, I got like 18 to 20 of these little characters on my first run that are like going into the menu and swapping them out and rotating them all around. Uh I don't, Josh, this game's really fun. I don't know. Like, I'm having a really good time with it. Um, just going in, doing my runs, getting my little, recruiting my little creature guys, going in and yeah. doing a whole bunch of attacking stuff, going back out. The story is kind of nonsensical. It's like, whatever. Uh, but I, the gameplay, I'm having a really great time with it. It's 15 bucks. It's super cheap. It's on PlayStation, Switch, and PC right now. Um, so check it out. See if that you, if, you know, check out some reviews. I don't think there's any like media reviews really but the reviews on steam for it are pretty positive um so that's little noah scion of paradise 
Um, so go ahead, check that out. Like I said, it's very inexpensive. Um, and I'm having a good time with it. It's not going to be like, you know, I think it's, oh, who is it? I think it might be Easy Allies that says like swimming in sevens. Like it's, this is not going to be like game of the year, a 96 on Metacritic game. So sure. if you just want to sit down and have a fun, great time. Ah, little Noah's Island of Paradise. It's pretty fun. Uh, this other game that I've been playing then is I recently got a new phone, i.e. this weekend. And when I got a new phone, they're like, hey, guess what? Uh, if you want any trading value for your phone, you have to change your phone plan. I was like, oh, you jerks. Uh, <laughs> because I'm on a very, very old phone plan that's very affordable. <clears throat> well, they got me to change my phone plan. But with it, I get free Apple Arcade. So I have decided to start downloading some of the games off Apple Arcade. One of those games is Mini Motorways. Uh, Mini Motorways was a game that I actually had looked at buying on Steam quite a long time ago, but never actually jumped in on it. Uh, and basically, in many motorways, you are going to, it's a kind of a traffic management game where you are going to a city. Um, and in that city, it starts off with like a business and a house of the same color. And then you're just kind of building the roads between them. And then after a little bit of time, then maybe you'll get a business and houses of different colors. And over time, this just continues to bubble and bubble and bubble. And then soon you're trying to manage all of the different traffic, but also recognizing that like, um, Every once in a while, you can unlock like special unlocks that are like bridges or interstates or roundabouts or stoplights. So it's like really trying to figure out like how can I most efficiently manage getting these vehicles to the business and back in a certain amount of time because they have to go like do these pickups basically. And if anything ever gets overrun with pickups, then the match ends. You have a score, um, and that just kind of tells you where you are in the on the leaderboard there's also like daily challenges and weekly challenges that you can do um overall especially if you have apple arcade mini motorways it's a fun game like i'm really enjoying it i think it might be a little pricey on steam i think it might be like 20 dollars. Um, i don't quite know if it's worth that but if especially if you have apple arcade i think it might be on switch as well um it's a really fun time like i have lost more time in the last four days to this game or two days times a flat circle uh to this game than i ever anticipated that i would so mini motorways it's a good time with all those video games out of the way josh it's like suddenly the skies parted and i had all this time to play games <laughs> this last week it's been amazing it's i'm been not, so I'm good. not jealous at all <laughs> <laughs> with that let's talk about some board games that's right i played some board games and i'm so excited about it number one first game being patchwork which was sent to me by uh super listeners plague which so thank you so much for that that was very very nice um and since it is fourth of july weekend and the edition that was sent to um, is the Americana edition. I figured, gotta play Patchwork. Um, so Patchwork, if you're not familiar, is a two-player-only game. Uh, it is basically a Tetramino-style game where you have basically a timing board in the center and then all these different patches like circled around that timing board. On your turn, uh, you either move up, you can choose to either move up on the timing board. If you do, you get some buttons as income. Um, or you can choose to select a patch to place onto your board. Uh, the way that the game's a little interesting in that whoever is behind always goes. Uh, so it's not like alternating turns. If you're on the timing board, if you're behind someone, um, the other player, you will go. And then when you, let's say you pick a patch, that patch will tell you how many times you have to move up or how many spaces to move up on the timing board. If you're still behind, then you go again. Um, so it's this really interesting kind of push and pull of like, okay, what pieces do I want? How far am I going to go on this timing board? Kind of all of that and balancing it. When do I need income to be able to afford to buy patches? Um, and the fact that the only way to get individual patches is on the timing board, right? Those mm -hmm. are not available like for selection in the, the group of patches that are out on the board. Uh, I've played a lot of Tetramino games lately. I don't know what happened, but uh, so much of my time recently has been, has been spent playing these. Uh, and Patchwork's a pretty good one. I don't know that I was going to take 
um, or supersede or even that I prefer to something like Baron Park, for instance. Uh, but I do enjoy it. I think the fact that it is only for two players is pretty great. Um, part of the reason that I might not be so high on it as other people is I never won, Josh, any of the games I'm about oh, to talk really? about. I didn't win at all. <laughs> I've never won any of these games this weekend. It's been horrible. That's too bad. Um, I know. I've, I've, for really, you. Sucked. <laughs> I've really sucked. Um, but it, it is like a nice, quick game. It's one of those that's really easy to teach. Um, so even if you have someone who isn't super into board games, they can easily pay patchwork. Um, so if you're just looking for a really fun like activity to do with a partner while maybe if you have something on the background that you don't really care about or you just want to spend some time together talking and you know having a coffee or a drink together while you're playing a game like i think patrick's a super easy game to yeah. recommend um so definitely like i said it's not my favorite of the tetramino games um, but it is one we're going to continue to play so it's nice. not like it's like going away or anything like that so patchwork definitely check it out it's a good time which version uh, do you have uh the americana, americana edition. okay all yeah right. so all right uh which i just think means that all the patches are red white and blue with yeah the it's just thematically like changed yeah, yeah. So um, then the other game that I got to the table, and when I mean got to the table, I mean my entire table and more than my entire table um, <laughs> is Foundations of Rome. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is a game that Josh and I have obviously been talking about for quite some time. Uh, backed in on Kickstarter quite a while ago at this point and, and got it in kind of recently. Uh, this is an Emerson Matsuchi design. This is a kind of a city building game where um, on your turn, you basically get to do one of three things. You either buy a deed um you build um a building or upgrade a building on one of your lots or you take income so those are like the only three things that you're doing but basically what happens is at the start of the game um you're dealt out a group of deeds these deeds are a grid um uh, on the board in front of you a b c d e f g and then numbers one through seven so you have a one a two it's kind of like playing bingo right um and then you get these ad initial deeds and you put a little marker on these deeds cards that you have and the deeds are spread out all over the map and what your goal is, is just to try to purchase deeds that are close to each other, because when you have them that are close, that those that you they form like either a straight line or an L or even sometimes an individual space, you can then build a building on those spaces. Uh, those buildings are going to give you advantages, like they'll increase your population or they'll give you money or they're another way interact with the buildings around them to give you additional points. Um and or you can take money like that's really all you're doing on your team turn you either buy a deed for however much money it costs to buy that one you build on your lots or you take income and that's it um throughout the game there's three kind of scoring phases so after like phase one you do some scoring new deeds come out after those are done you do scoring new deeds come out um the game is really interactive without you being able to do anything to the other person on your turn and what I mean by that is that you have perfect information, right? You know exactly what deeds the other person has. They know exactly what deeds you have. You can look and see exactly what buildings they have available to them. They know exactly what available buildings you have available to you. So when you're looking at the deeds that are available, you can all see the ones that are available. You know exactly how much they cost. You can see how much money the other person has. Like it, it is really tr this push and pull the whole time of being like, Okay, if I buy this deed, they won't be able to build their four, you know, their their four building structure there. But I only would be able to put a one there. So is it really worth it for me? Would it be better if I bought this other one because then I could build the four for me? But you know, oh, is this going to be a population building because they might put a special building next to it that gives them points based off population? And like this him and ha and this thing that you're going through in your head the whole time with a game that's actually very simple, right? Like what you do on your turn is very, very simple, but there's so many things that you can take into consideration. And I think that's one of the things that makes Emerson such a great designer is that all of his games for the most part are extremely easy to teach, 
They're very easy to explain what you need to do. And it's a very small number of rules. There's just these couple things that you're going to do. Go for it. But then the interactions between all of those things are just always so interesting and thoughtful. Um, I will say this game is very overproduced. Like the buildings are huge. Like oh, yeah. everything is like put together ridiculously. Um, I'm just going to say it. It makes the game more fun. It yeah. just does. Good. Like I, I think <laughs> that like if these were just Tetramino pieces, which they easily could have been. Yeah. It still would be a good game. But in this way, it is so fun because you're like putting down this chunky building and you're like you're taking out these itsy bitsy markers and throwing this huge chunky building on and realistically like the storage solution for this game is probably one of the best game storage solutions that's ever existed like yeah. how this game is put together in the box with all of the trays it is so good yeah uh, this is for me and this game is another home run um emerson i think is a great designer obviously we're probably a bit biased because we've had him on the show before yeah but we wanted to have him on the show because we liked his game so much and this to me is just another you know showing of like how good of a designer he is how elegant which i know sometimes it's an overused word but just how elegant his games are and that they're yeah. so darn easy to understand about what you need to do but then suddenly you look at it and you're like well if i do this that'll happen but if i do this this will happen if i do this this will happen so which one of these is the best decision and that is where the fun of the game lies in um so foundations of rome i know is there is basically impossible to get if you didn't back the kickstarter uh, but if you ever have a chance to play it out well whoa what <laughs> first of all did you use the monuments how often did you use the monuments part was that part of the main game we so we have the monuments expansion but we did not use it i asked Erica that's a if black she to, sheet in there yeah, right exactly yeah. i asked Erica if she wanted to use the monuments and she said no that she wanted to play the first the base main game, game a first. couple times first okay. so we played it just as the base game but next time we play the game is actually still set up um next time we play we're going to use monuments so. okay uh check your emails because um uh, Arcane Wonders is launching a second printing of Foundations of Rome and an expansion, a new expansion for people like us who would want to back it. So I got an email from them basically saying, hey, like we want your support. We just want you to say that you will back us when we go back on Kickstarter, knowing that you backed our original game. We just want you to say you're going to back the expansion. And I was like, yeah, of course I'm going to back the expansion. Why wouldn't I? I'll see if I can Did find it. I miss it. this email? Maybe I'm trying to. Uh, did, it's got to be into my regular Gmail, right? So when did you get this email? Let's see if I can find it. It is fascinating podcasting for the listeners. I know. Well, you know, <laughs> people can deal with it for a second. Would it be under promotions? Maybe. Um, I didn't dream it. I know that. By the way, I just saw my email from Simon about cyberpunk, and when James was talking about. Simon, I wanted to be like, oh, you mean how oh, they yeah. just added 17 expansions to the Cyberpunk game? second. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So there will be another run. So if people are listening to us talk about Foundations of Rome and are bombed because you can't buy it in retail, um, they will be launching a second printing this year at some point on Kickstarter um, and a new expansion for people like me who already have the game. I was a little mad when I got it. I was like, no, you told me that no one else can own this game. I know. <laughs> uh, but yes. it won't be retail, so I get it. Um, but yeah, I'm glad people... Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I'm really looking forward to it. And I guess my other question to you would be, do you think like the simplicity of the rules is on par with Century? Or do you think it's more complex? Or where is it in the on the, on the uh, Century line? I think it's pretty comparable. Um, cause like I said, like you have, and I actually bring, 
<laughs> COVID oh, cough. <laughs> that COVID cough is no joke. Like, yeah, it's I know. Still, I know. I can tell here. you still have it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was told I should go back to the doctor because I might they might have to give me an inhaler. But anyway, oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they um, this is not going to be great for listeners. They there's this little like yeah I turn guide it. that you get in there. Mm-hmm. It literally is like on the front. There's like here are the three things you can do on your turn, and on the back is just like a reminder of the symbols. Okay, this is literally like after I read the instructions, this is all I needed. Oh, it's like, the size of a it, player reference card. It, yeah, it's, I, it is just the size of a regular card, and that yeah. is the entire player reference, and that's cool. it. Um, so yeah, it it is very very straightforward because literally it's like do one of these three things. That's it. Like that's that's your whole decision of which of those three things are you going to do. Great. Um. So yeah, I think it's great. Um. Definitely. So it looks like the this new Kickstarter is coming in 29 days. So 27 days by the time you Ooh, hear this. Fireworks so, are starting. <clears throat> second printing. Foundations of Rowan. Check it out. Like I said, it is great. It is expensive. So just to yes. be very clear, like it it is very expensive. I'm not saying that it's not for, uh, it's definitely not for everyone as a result of that. Um, you know, it was 160 bucks uh, plus shipping, you know, so I assume that it'll be similar, if not more, when they relaunch it. So, um, not saying it's affordable, but it is good. I will say, I mentioned to Erica, I'm like, yeah, I, I genuinely think that, you know, playing the game in this format, um, is more fun like having it be this production value she's like no it really is and i'm like well i mean we, we definitely paid for that she's like yeah don't tell me how much it was like it was that it was that good of an experience because of the chunkiness and chunkiness of it that she's like yeah it was definitely worth it i just don't want to know how much it was so there you go sure, that's her that's endorsement uh okay so that's what we've been playing uh with that we are going to do some topics of the show but we're only going to do one each just since we had the interviews so josh what's your topic this week well i got a quick one and uh based off of the firework proximity i'll try to go quickly <laughs> I'll be muting in between. Uh, so I posted this in our Discord uh, this week. It looks like we got a potential. It's not a well. We have another racing game coming out. I was going to say like a, a follow up to Downforce, but it's not by the same people. Uh, <laughs> so the Ticket to Ride Ticket to Ride Studio is teaming up with Deep Blue Creators for a new racing board game called Heat Pedal to the Metal. By Days of Wonders, uh, designed by uh, Asger Harding Gamarud and Daniel Skold Peterson. I'm sure I ruined their names, but you know what? Board game publishers' names are crazy. Uh, and to Americans, uh, players, uh, it plays one to six. So, uh, yeah, basically, you're competing in a series of high speed car races. Uh, in a multiplayer game, uh, Heat has players directly competing with each other as they attempt to steer vehicles around the tracks and maintain speed, aiming to be the first to pass the finish line. However, players will also have to be careful not to overheat their car engines, so it's kind of like downforce when you have to shift um, or swerve off the track if they want to finish the race in one piece. The game itself is played through hand management uh, with players using their respective hands of cards to make decisions on how they choose to handle their card their car on each turn. Pushing their vehicles will enable them to potentially pull ahead of the competition, but uh, they may have to uh, use adverse, sorry, it may have an adverse effect on their car uh, or how they'll be able to handle the next turn. You can upgrade your cars to improve the ways in which uh, you can cope with overheating or taking corners. Uh, and also a group of players can tackle a single race or take on an entire championship of races with each race 
uh, presenting fresh challenges like varying weather or road conditions, as well as potential events that might occur throughout their race. Whichever player manages to obtain top billing in the most races will hold up to the winner's trophy. I, th- I think that's kind of cool. It adds a championship to it. So like if you're sitting down, if this is a good enough game that you really enjoy, you can really sit down for a day of this game and do like, and this will be something like, you know, you talked about Patrick being over like coffee. This could be like, Hey, play a race, have a snack, play another yeah. race, have a pizza, play another race, play fall guy, whatever. Like right. this, it seems really cool. Um, it's, it has some potential. At least it sounds like to me. Uh, there's also a solo mode uh, where you can uh, play with the legends module, which adds a roster of artificial intelligence uh, opponents to race against um, and groups can use legend modules in their games too. If you only maybe playing four players and you want two legends in there as well. Um, so it's co-designed by the creator of the bike racing game. Flam a just seems appropriate timing for uh, what might be going on in the world somewhere. And also Daniel uh, Skold Peterson, who they both worked together on Deep Blue, which was an underwater exploration game uh, from uh, Days of Wonder. They also worked on Copenhagen together. So, yeah, it's going to be $75. I didn't know that until I just read it right now. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a, coming it's in October at 75 bucks. So. Keep your eyes on Target for a twenty-five dollar clearance rack purchase. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that could that could definitely be worth um, what I'm seeing as far as like presentation for the game. I mean, we're not talking. Like, we just talked to James about his games, and like we're not talking uh, Druid City Games production level like bits and pieces. But there seems to be a lot to this game, so so check it out. See what you think. Heat, pedal to the metal, coming out in October. Seventy-five bucks. What do you think, Josh? Kyle? Are you gonna get heat pedal to the metal? Uh you know, I you know what I'm what I was thinking about while I read it is I think I'm gonna bring Downforce to the beach. I've never played Downforce. I have it. It's a game I've always wanted to play. Seems like the appropriate time to play it. Um, and I think also like Formula Day is one of my games like like I've always wanted to own, but I don't think people would want to play it with me. Um, so if I can get down force of the table and it seems like people like it, Heat will will considerably ascend my list of games I want. But I don't know. Uh, I gotta stop buying games. I bought more games. I, don't, I already don't have enough room in these new Calyx shelves to fit yeah. more games. So. I have to be, I got to get a little bit more selective about my games. However, I'm looking right across from me and there's New Bedford, The Big Book of Madness, King Domino, The Goonies, Haunted Mansion, and Jungle Cruise. I'm like, how often do I, I haven't even played half of those games. Do I need to hold on to them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about it, I have Formula D or Formula Day, depending on who you talk to. And it does sound like the, there's a lot of things here that are very similar to that game. And the thing that's neat about Formula D is that you can choose how complicated, basically, you want to make the game when you mm-hmm. play it. You want it to just be about shifting and rolling the dice? You totally can. Do you want to have it? Do you want, like, wear on tires to matter? Do you want, like, engine overheating to matter? Do you want damage to matter? Like, those are all things that you can add. You know, the the more 
um, experience you get through the game and the more challenging and, and sim like you want the board game experience to be like the race. Um, and kind of what you mentioned is that there are like Formula D like leagues that play the board game and get together like you know once or twice a month and have championship races because there's so many different maps and so many rules and so many like there are people who like kind of play it semi-competitively and um that's the cool thing about racing games is there's the i just want to hit the shifter and roll the die and see how fast i go through this corner and there's like the super super competitive realm and they're all playing the same game but just playing it a little bit differently which is always pretty cool so all right josh so my story this week um it's coming from Games Radar. So we'll talk about the story first, but then we're going to kind of veer off slightly. Aha, it's like a racing thing. Uh, so a <laughs> Nintendo fan shot down after spending more than $40,000 to ask about F-Zero at a shareholder meeting. Um, this is from Hope Bellingham over at Games Radar. Uh, a Nintendo Super fan has spent $40,000 on Nintendo stock in order to attend a shareholders meeting and ask about the future of F-Zero. As reported by Business Insider via Kotaku, an anonymous diehard gaming fan has said they spent 5.6 million Japanese yen, which is just over $40,000, on Nintendo shares in order to gain access to the company's annual shareholder meeting last Wednesday and ask about an F-Zero revival. According to the Business Insider report, the fan asked Nintendo president Shintaro Furukawa if the company had considered relaunching some fan-favorite franchises, specifically F-Zero. Despite being a cameo in the Mario Kart 8, the racing game has been dormant since 2004. Furukawa responded, translation via VGC, it is realistically difficult to develop new titles and remakes, including sequels, for every Nintendo game that people request. But we are very grateful and appreciate the expectations our fans have for our games. Senior Managing Executive Officer at Nintendo, Shinya Takashi, Takahashi, there we go, also replied to the fan and said, We're always considering how to develop new titles and remakes that can be enjoyed by many players. We cannot tell you if there are any plans for future remakes of any specific games, but during development, we are always thinking about various possibilities that players can enjoy. Unfortunately for this F-Zero fan, they didn't quite get the answer they were hoping for, but thanks to Takahashi's uplifting response, the door has been, hasn't been completely closed on the idea, at least not at the moment. So that is the article from Games Radar. Josh, here's my question for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, is this like the coolest thing ever that a person has done or to show their fandom for a game? No. Or is this like the worst thing ever <laughs> someone has done to show their fandom for the game? It's neutral. First of all, I don't have to spend $40,000 to know there will be another F-Zero. It's not, it's not not going to happen. It just is a matter of time of when. Uh, the good news is that guy still owns stock. So it's not, he didn't just spend $40,000 to ask a question also, man, do you really think you really think that you can spend money to get a, a question answered? They're not going to answer that question to their shareholders, period, because Nintendo don't share bleep. They're going to put out their games when they want to, when they're ready to. And if they're working on enough zero, we're not going to know until <laughs> this weird Twitch uh, Twitter leaker leaks it or it shows up on a direct. It's not like they're not going to just drop a spoiler in the middle of a shareholders meeting because someone paid. I think that, you know, that makes me feel like this person thinks they're one, they're 1%. <laughs> <laughs> Get over yourself, guy who has that much money to spend on Nintendo stock. <laughs> well, with that then, Josh, in the spirit of that, <laughs> yeah, let's say that you and I each had enough money to be able to get invited to a shareholder meeting for a video game company. What kind of questions would you ask, Josh? So 
I have a couple, two slash three in my mind that for different companies that I'm like, here's what I would ask for sure. or the question I'd have. Josh, if you, if you were able to invest <laughs> to get into one of those shareholder meetings, yeah. what, what company, what question you asking? Well, I was originally thinking one thing, but I just thought of a different thing I would do. So well, I would also, I would also, let's, let's do the thing I just thought of. I would do Nintendo, right? Okay. And I would ask them to make uh, unbreakable weapons in the Breath of the Wild 2. <laughs> and maybe shrink the map by a quarter. <laughs> okay. So make sure the weapons don't break and make the, can you, can you make sure the weapons don't break? No stamina and... meter, no weapon wow. meter. Or don't make everything climbable and get, and then, or like maybe like, maybe if I'm going to cold mountains and I don't have cold gear on, like a little fairy pops up and it does manu both and goes no no no. <laughs> so you're missing something. <laughs> so what you're saying, Josh, is you want to design Breath of the Wild too. <laughs> to make a different game yes. than Breath of the Wild too. Okay, I do. So, okay, I don't even want that to exist i want a better version of it to exist <laughs> that's bold that's bold okay so no breath of the wild too basically uh what what would your other one be then my original one was i would invest in bioware Ooh. okay okay my first question would be what did you learn from mass effect andromeda and how are you not repeating it and your next bioware uh, next mass effect okay so you don't care if they do it in dragon age just next mass effect game how are you not messing it up? Yeah, yeah. I'm just being selfish and something that oh. directly affects my enjoyment of Bioware games. <laughs> that's fair. This guy asked about F-Zero, so I yeah. think that's totally fine. What do you think their answer would be? Uh, we haven't learned anything, and we're adding many more microtransactions to Mass Effect. <laughs> that's probably what they're going to say. It uh, seems bad. They're, they'll probably also say, we're also shutting down union rumors for our QA testers. Oh, Okay, dang. You didn't even ask about that. They're just volunteering I'm it. I'm just going to pop it up. Like, don't ask. This is. I know this is your next question. It's probably about quality of life of our employees. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- those are all good, Josh. Those are all very good. Do I sound bitter? Um, no, I mean, <laughs> yes. bitter. I don't know if I'd use bitter, but you sound uh, something. Do we'll I sound like a that. gamer? <laughs> <laughs> you do sound like a gamer, especially with the stuff that's happened this week. Goodness Perfect. gracious. I'm glad I can put myself in their company. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if we'd want to. Gush, gush. Anyway, they're firing uh, in my house. I don't know if you can hear it. <laughs> so for me, Josh, a couple couple things that came to mind. Uh, my first one actually is something that might be happening, but it's something I've asked for for a very long time. So I'm just going to continue to ask for it until it actually does happen. Um, and I would go to PlayStation. Surprise. Uh, and this would be oh, that old that old bag. That old one. And this would be to the general. Like I don't know. Maybe I'd I'd say PlayStation as a whole. I know Jim Ryan doesn't technically do hardware, but I'm probably going to ask Jim uh, Ryan. Are you going to ask them to stop putting their games on PC? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I'm asking. To, I'm going to actually ask them to put their games on Xbox. No, I'm just kidding. Ooh, um, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to ask them to, hey, you know, you talk about like all these lessons that you learn. How about you stop learning lessons and just steal something directly? <laughs> Let us make custom controllers for PlayStation. Oh, that's cool. Like, seriously. How? How has PlayStation still not copied the controller design lab? Like, how? How has that not happened, Josh? That's a great question. How much would you pay to ask that question? 
forty thousand U.S. dollars. No, uh, I wouldn't pay forty thousand U.S. dollars. Uh, but I just I don't understand like why that is still not an option. Yeah, the, the Xbox has to be making money hand over fist on that, and because we're all dumb and we all buy way more controllers than we need, and we're like, ooh, a different color, and then we just buy it. I'm the same. I would have way more controllers if I could design them myself. Um, oh yeah, we love those new PlayStation controllers. You could get uh, pink or purple. <laughs> Good job, PlayStation. Which, granted, those aren't horrible, but I still want to make my own. Like, I still want to be able to like make one that, that is custom to me. So that'd yeah. be one thing I'd ask. Is that that'd be number one? Um, the number two thing that I have um, is I would go to Xbox and I would all the big hitters. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going to the big hitters for sure. And I would look at uh, Matt Booty. And, ah. and 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 car car salesman used car salesman um phil hey be nice I, that is what's wrong with used car salesman you, oh now you paint me a corner <laughs> i was like are you saying that's something bad about them no 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 i'm a janitor i get nothing to say about anybody <laughs> like, just give people like cars at affordable prices just like uh, k-pass is an affordable thing for people i don't like where like this gaming. is going you know what we have listeners who will fix this for me i'm not answer. i'm not addressing this so, but here's going to be my question as an, as a subscriber <laughs> to game pass. Yeah. I subscribed to game pass because, you know, like a year ago, Matt booty told me that there would be a first party game a quarter for me to play. Really. Ideally they want to get to a first party game like a month. Right. Yeah. I was muted, but I laughed pretty hard at that yeah. one. <laughs> when is that happening? I've been investing in this service for a long time now and not playing much, which I get is my fault. It's a good thing they didn't there. say they believe in generations, right? Because then you'd be really mad. <laughs> then I'd be super mad. <laughs> so angry. But like, when's that going to happen, right? Like, when are, when are we going to get to that yeah. future? Because I do think it is a great future that I'm looking forward to. Um, I'm just wondering when it's going to happen. So that would be my question there. I have a question for each of the big three. Final question. I go to Nintendo. Be like, hi, Mr. Nintendo. Tread lightly. <laughs> Why am I trying? No, I they're already not releasing Breath of the Wild because you took care of that. So you, you fixed Breath of the Wild too. No, when are you going to fix your Joy Cons so they don't oh, suck? I was just thinking about that actually because I wanted to buy a new Joy Cons to bring to the beach, and I was right. like, "Why? Why bother?" Right. I'm like, just gonna buy a wired controller. <laughs> and I know the other two are like a little more like lighthearted, but like seriously, like you're these have been a problem since the release of the Switch, and they still aren't right and like, Nintendo fans go just buy the repair kits no why am i spending 80 dollars on two joy cons to actually have to spend more money on a repair kit and i'm not saying that the controllers from everyone else are perfect like i i, I get that but i think currently at least the the biggest problem seems to be there like you've had years to fix this just fix it already kyle i've had more broken left joy cons than any broken controller in every generation of video game consoles i've owned like combined, combined. Yeah, it's rough. It's really, really rough. So that would be. Like that, did you see the rabbit, the new rabbits game that's coming out? It's like a yeah. party game, and I was like, "Oh, that looks like a lot of fun." And then it was like motion controls, and I was like, "Oh, well, it's gonna break my left Joy-Con, so I'm not <laughs> buying that game." <laughs> awesome. So there we go. Hey, listeners, if you had the ability to ask a question during a stockholder meeting for any of the any video game company, what yeah. would you ask? We want to know. Let us know what would you ask for your stock related question. Uh, Josh, any questions this week? Oh, shoot. You know, we have this every week. It's true. And you we, think we I'll be prepared. Every week. Uh, I'll just chime in real quick. Calico Corner update. Uh, he's working hard. He's he's custodian like I am. So he has crazy, crazy workload. Uh, but Paul's enjoying 
Shredder's Revenge, as we all are, I believe. Um, he asked if we watched Obi-Wan. We have, right? Have you watched Obi-Wan? I have not watched Obi-Wan. Ooh, well, then I will. Sorry, Paul, you'll have to wait on my thoughts on the series. If Are you going to watch it? Uh, Do you have any interest in Obi-Wan? Well, I mean. Are you not a Star Wars fan? Josh, here was actually the conversation <laughs> I had with Erica this weekend. We were when we were going to get our phones, and we were talking about because we we're going to obviously Disney. Yeah, and she was talking about. She's like, "Are you going to want to get a lightsaber?" And I was like, "Nah." She's <gasps> like, "What?" And I was wow. like, "Here's the conclusion I've come to. I am not as big of a Star Wars fan as most other people. Sure. I just am not. It's it. I think Star Wars is completely fine. Um, Ugh. my I I know and it, my it, heart. <laughs> it, and, and and for people who love it, I'm glad you enjoy it. I I just think there's not a ton that Star Wars does that other pl- things don't do better. Oh, I didn't ask for this. I don't know. Why are you doing this? Don't put this in the world. No, People just, are going to get mad. That's fine. <laughs> they can get mad. I, that's totally fine because it's okay, okay that All they right. love it. I'm not saying they shouldn't. Yeah. Just for me, it's just not something that I'm as into. I was talking I'm to surprised my, you're not going to do your own lightsaber. That's like a whole, that's like the whole, they, that's like picking your bond but they up it to another level like i can't wait to do that but like i josh i haven't even seen the last star wars movie oh my oh that is yeah the rise of skywalker yeah and i i haven't i didn't watch season two of the mandalorian i haven't watched obi-wan i didn't watch boba fett oh you know like so like (laughs) i can go get a lightsaber which is fine yeah yeah. but like it just doesn't mean the same to me as it does to like other. okay that makes sense that makes sense so i'm not saying that's a bad thing i just like if I'm going to spend a couple hundred dollars on something, yeah. I don't know if that's what I want to spend my couple hundred dollars on. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell um, Paul, I really enjoyed Obi-Wan. It has a lot of prequel vibes, which I don't like. Um, but I think they developed this character really well to show post episode three, what Obi-Wan must have felt like. They really did a good job on focusing on him being beaten down and really losing losing his way with basically how he failed Anakin in a way. Um, and it has some interesting character development and story arcs. Uh, I wish we knew if it was going to be more than just a one-off series, because if that was the case, I might be more hopeful for more content, but I think either way it ends in a, in a, in a way that is, respectful to either ending it there or having a second season so either way i don't think people will be too disappointed with the ending so well okay because i was i was really nervous like i didn't know if he was going to survive (laughs) 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 okay now real briefly real briefly i'm gonna i'm gonna tread lightly into this okay yeah first three star wars movies pretty universal everyone's like oh they're great right the originals the originals yes Yes. the original trilogy that started in 77 yes okay Uh uh-huh don't mind I love the fireworks. Your fireworks though. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> the prequels come out, right? Yeah. Pretty universally, everyone's like, these suck, right? Mm-hmm. So now we have six movies, half of which are are, are not good. Actually, okay. I would argue if you include the special edition original trilogy, none of them are good. Then we have even more <laughs> not good ones, right? Yeah. So then they're like, oh, we're going to do like the sequel trilogy, right? We're going to kind of yes. cap things off. And depending on who you talk to, one, potentially one and a half of those are good. Right. So now we have nine movies, which maybe four of them are good. I think six of them are good. Six and a half. Uh, Episode three. Episode three gets a half good out of me. Okay. I like all the new ones in their own way. 
Yeah, you're. I think you are one of the rare people who. I dislike Han Solo, and I think Rogue One might be the second best Star Wars movie ever made. So yeah, but that's just where I'm like, I don't know, because like, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I agree with you. It, It certainly isn't for everyone. Um, and current generation fanboys have certainly made Star Wars harder to like for the everyman. Yeah. And and honestly, part of that is the thing of like, I, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I like it enough. I'm not into it enough. So I just feel like I have to say like, I just don't care. And this, like, I, you know, like was our preamble. <laughs> we did it. This is us. We did it. Started, yeah, yeah, we did our yeah, preamble. Our, we did it. We did it <laughs> during listener questions. So. Awesome. But yeah, hey listeners, do you like Star Wars? Let us know. Oh boy, uh, don't, don't just like keep it, it to yourselves. <laughs> okay, or keep it to yourselves. All right. So with that, we'll move on to our recommendations for a well-rounded life. Obviously, we're a gaming podcast, but we want to give you one other thing we're currently into that is helping us live that well-rounded life. Josh, what is your recommendation this week? Well, I don't know if I recommended this previously. I may have. Uh, but I will say this uh, with the work. Now I'm into summer work. It's just very tough and i'm up at 4 a.m now every day uh working till three it's it's i don't feel very motivated to do much when i get home so i haven't really i haven't finished the boys yet i haven't even finished stranger things i'm just not feeling very motivated to do things that being said i was home friday night and i'm like okay looking at hbo and i'm like okay oh yeah let's keep keep watching this is my keep watching list I watched the first episode of the show called The Baby on HBO Max. Uh, it is originally a Sky TV show, so British television, um, and it's on HBO now. I have put in more episodes than just the one episode at this point, so I feel comfortable recommending it at where I am. And I would say it definitely is in the horror genre, but basically it's like a what if a baby was Satan? And what if this baby was just a baby, but was, you know, uh, I guess this is what I'll say. The The show starts off, this is not a spoiler, with the what will be the main character finding, like, being annoyed by her friend having a baby as if it takes away from their social time, and then finding out in their th- Three threesome of friends that her other friend is now expecting a baby and she is the odd one out and then she finds herself I feel like they're about to start the finale in a second of fireworks uh, she finds herself in the company of a baby under gruesome circumstances and tries to alleviate her problem to no avail <laughs> uh, where she's slowly figuring out maybe there's a little bit more to this baby than it seems and it's funny as a parent it's a little too real sometimes <laughs> um and frustrating but in a good like in like a narratively good way and um it's very well acted and interesting so if you're interested in checking out a weird uh supernatural horror show about a baby <laughs> that kills people who is the devil check it out the baby on hbo max that uh that sounds like something (laughs) it's definitely something so and your show i really want to watch yeah 
I tried to get my wife to watch it. She didn't want to watch it. Um, real quick before I get to my show, have you yeah. seen anything about the terminal list on Amazon? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I have seen something about it, which made me not want to watch it. It's really bizarre to me because I think the critical the the critics are being really hard on it, but the audience scores for it on both Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb are really good. So I want to watch it. It has Chris Pratt. I read yeah. uh a pull quote that said it's a right wing Republicans dream show. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to watch this now, <laughs> but I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to go based off of that. I'm going to watch. Is it a show or a movie? It is a show. Okay. So I'm going to try at least an episode and see, I'll, you know, I'll formulate my own opinion because you can't trust social media for things. That is correct. Make your own opinion for sure. Um, well, my recommendation, and I, I, I might watch your recommendation, Josh. I have, I, for some reason, I've been like into horror again. You should give it a shout out. I'll be curious what you think about the first episode. Um, so my recommendation is a show on FX slash Hulu called The Bear. Um, I, I'm going to come out and start with the fact that this show is called The Bear is like the, the horrible name for a show. not a good name. Like, yeah, no, it just it really isn't. But what it has to do with is a, um, a chef who has been trained in really, um high affluent like super fine dining restaurants is he's what has been doing his whole career and he comes back to take over his family's um basically like sandwich shop in chicago so that's like the premise of the show um with that being said that is the premise of the show there like the show almost never tells you anything in the sense of like it talks very, very in depth, in depth about like really specific, like fine dining topics related to food. Yeah, it doesn't, it, and it does not couch any of them. Like if you don't understand, you just don't understand. Like they're not like explaining anything to you. They're just going through and doing it. And like everything is, there's no exposition of like, oh, I came home because of blah blah. Like conversations between characters you're like picking out little things as you're going and so it it very much just like the show just keeps going and like you need to pay attention and and figure out it's like if we were talking to each other but didn't know each other a hundred percent slowly find out about that person over conversations exactly and the other thing about this show that is really nothing on television that i have seen is shot like this show is the the feel of the show is super interesting like Everything is in close, like it's a lot of close-ups, like very close to people's faces, very tight corridors, like because they're in kitchens and things like that. So everything is just like crunched in and like people talk over each other and no one cares. Like you might even lose like what dialogue is happening between like the main character and like who he's talking to. And the show does not care that you can't keep up with it at all. It just goes. Because like real life. Yeah. But there's something so compelling about like this show and what's going on and this story and like it's both like a love letter to like all types of food and like really just messed up family dynamics like and like there's something i think you know sometimes people struggle with like well i can't relate to like the premise of this show you're going to be able to understand or feel something for the characters of the show because there's a lot of them they all have very different experiences that they're coming from and I mean, it is very, the show is just like, I don't want to say breakneck pace because it's not like it's always moving really fast, but people talk loud. They talk fast. If you don't keep up, no one cares. Like it's really, really fascinating to watch. And it just happens to be really interesting and good. The acting is like off the chain. It's so good. And the music is really good. 
Like, I really recommend it. Even if you're not super into cooking and food, the bear on FX slash Hulu, oh, it's so good. It's really, nice. really worth the watch. So, and it's nice too because even though it's more of a drama, they're only like 30 minute episodes. Perfect. Um, which is which is really nice. So that because it is kind of a like I said, uniquely shot, unique feeling. Like you might feel slightly unsettled after watching it, so you might not want to watch it for a whole <laughs> hour. That's totally fine. Yeah. So, but that's my recommendation. I think it's great. The bear. With that, Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? Let's do it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate, there we go, in more, in, oh boy, I had it and I lost it. <laughs> if you want to communicate in the more in a more long form or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithfiji at gmail.com. We tag ourselves with hashtag boardwithfiji. So please feel free to use that hashtag as well on all your social medias. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is, whether you're downloading us from the Dice Tower Network feed or our very own standalone board with video games feed. Uh, you can find me on Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, Steam, OnlyFans. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Why so serious? That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. Kyle, where can people find you? So you can find me on all of the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Cyclocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. Uh, again, a huge thanks to James Hudson for joining us earlier yes. in the show this week. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. Go check out all the things Druid City Games is doing. And with that, if you have any suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. Josh, sounds like Rost. I just wanted to uh, send you a little message. I believe you've known each other for quite some time, but you've never met in person. Well, as an outsider, I understand that. But keep training. Keep focused on each other. Have each other's backs. And keep broadcasting that podcast. You're doing God's work. All right, guys. Take care of yourselves. Best of luck. Rost. <laughs>